The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Is your right to privacy being violated because of your vision problem? And the slow process of creating a rules change in Medicare. Welcome to the Happy New Year edition of ACB Reports for January 2012. The issue of privacy is a great concern for everyone, especially when it comes to personal medical information. During the 50th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind, ACB Secretary Marlena Lieberg introduced a panel which discussed accessing medical information and maintaining privacy as a blind consumer. Our next panel is accessing medical information and maintaining our privacy as blind consumers. And I know two of the three women on this panel, my friend Sue Amateur, who is the chair of the ACB Health Issues Task Force, and Sue is from Port Hadlock, Washington. My friend whom I've not seen in way too long, Dr. Chris Cook, N.D., who is a naturopathic physician, Chris is from Portland, Oregon, and Paula D. Perlman, J.D. Paula is the executive director of the Disability Rights Legal Center in Los Angeles, California. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my friend, Sue Amateur. Today, we're going to be talking about the Health Insurance Portability Authorization Act. We have two excellent presenters, so let's begin by welcoming Dr. Chris Cook. It's great to be with you this morning and talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. As a physician and as a patient, I've been on both sides of the desk, so to speak. So I'm keenly aware of the issues that blind and visually impaired patient consumers have to deal with with the HIPAA privacy laws. I'm going to share with you a little bit about what HIPAA is, that big mouthful of letters that Sue aptly memorized. And I'm going to talk about the basic overview of HIPAA and what that really means to you, because as long as you're living and breathing, you have a health history and you have privacy that uh, you have a right to maintain and to experience as a blind consumer. HIPAA was enacted in 1996, and the basic parts of it, you have a protected health information. And what this means is there are lots of key components of your health file that are protected. And those would include anything that identifies you and connects you to your health information. So your name, social security number, address, email, phone number, all those things, picture ID. And then your health information involves any diagnosis codes, chart notes, conversations that your doctors and healthcare providers have amongst each other to coordinate your care and um, any other information that is connected with your health record. These are all parts of your protected health information, or PHI. And I really didn't know anything about this until I went to medical school. And I was first faced with concern about my HIPAA rights, which I had no idea I had any, when I went to fill out paperwork at our student clinic. 
we were all expected to go and experience what it was like to be treated by a naturopathic physician. So as I was standing there at the front desk, someone said, oh, yeah, we have some paperwork we want you to fill out. And I said, well, is there someone that can help me do that? And the nice lady at the front desk said, well, you know, I I guess I can help you out with that. Well, the interesting thing is she was going to be one of my future classmates. And so I was standing at the front desk speaking very quietly my health history and all the answers to my questions. I lead a pretty low-key life. I have a pretty mundane health history. Either I haven't done whatever it is or I don't have it. So a lot of my answers are no. But I still had private health information to share. And so this woman that was helping me, my future classmate, was saying, gosh, you know, this really violates HIPAA that we're doing this here in the waiting room. So maybe you've had this experience too and you can relate to that. So as I went through school, I became keenly aware that there was such a thing called HIPAA and there were things to protect. And that especially as blind and visually impaired consumers, we really needed to navigate this somehow and realize that we had rights. So you know that you have protected health information. The people that are required to um, keep this confidential and follow proper procedures are healthcare plans, HMOs, insurance companies, Government programs, such as Medicare and Medicaid, most doctors, nurses, psychiatrists, dentists, pharmacists, hospitals, all those um, medical folks, and private practitioners, of course, healthcare clearing houses that process your information. So those are the professionals that need to follow proper procedures. They keep your information safe. Your information is on a need-to-know basis, so just because someone can access your health information doesn't mean they need to know what's in it. So those folks are involved in keeping your information safe and making sure that record is kept of um, how and why it was used and that proper procedure is followed. The people that don't need to follow this law are life insurers, employers in most cases, though um, with the Family Leave Act, there needs to be a doctor's authorization that you need leave, and so that is an exception. Um, Workers' comp carriers, um, most schools and school districts, and many state and municipal agencies in law enforcement. So those are people that don't need to follow all these rules about keeping your information safe and confidential and electronically transmitted correctly on a secure server and all that sort of thing. So physicians and other administrators um, follow specific safeguards to make sure that your information is private. So you have a right to receive the notice that tells you all these goodies and who can use and disclose your information. Um, Oftentimes this notice is given to you. You actually don't read it. I don't know who reads this. Maybe most sighted people don't read it either. But they have to give you a notice that these are the ways in which your healthcare information can be viewed or disclosed. Um, You have the right to view your health record, which is a complication when you have um, paper charts that are handwritten. So that poses a challenge for us. You can decide if you want to give your information before it is given or used and for the length of time that it's given and used. And also, you have a right to receive a report of how and why your info was shared. All of this is really crucial because since everybody has a health history, you have private information and um, how to receive different parts of your healthcare information is something that Paula will talk about. But in working at the clinic where I do, I had to set up a secure server so that I could receive patient forms when you have to come to the doctor for the first time, you have all that paperwork to fill out. So I had to 
find an online form capability and a secure web server with your SSL certificate and all that good stuff. And I learned way more than I thought I would about that whole process. So when a patient wants to um, schedule an appointment with me, they go to my website and fill out the paperwork online. It's sent to a secure server, and I get an email notification that that information has been given and uh, a form has been uploaded. And then I can download it through that same secure, encrypted, every which way till Sunday um, server and then I can read that information so then it's accessible to me. So those are the things that I had to work out as a practitioner in order to receive patient information securely. And patients love filling out their forms online. And in fact, my um, blind and visually impaired patients really enjoy the fact that they can fill out information securely. So that is the process that I went through. And it's great to be on both sides of the desk so that I can have the empathy and understanding to do what I do. Paula is going to talk with you about more ways in which to address the privacy and security issues and how to maybe receive some results and keep your information safe and how to file an appeal if you need to do so. Thank you, Chris. I want Chris to be my doctor because she really follows HIPAA and she is very respectful of our privacy and um, I hate when they ask me in the waiting room, like, what about this? And it's like, really, I'm going to tell you that in front of all these people? So when you go to see Dr. Barrier and they're working at No Access Suite 101, so what are you going to do to maximize your privacy? And so what I want to talk about are some very practical tips, but I also want to talk about the intersection of other disability rights laws that provide protection for you. The first, let me talk about some of the just HIPAA tips that we um, encourage everybody. These are good for everybody, but these are particularly good for people who have sensory disabilities because you really want to protect your privacy and you want to have the same access to medical care and this protection as everybody else. So the first thing you need to do is plan because nobody is going to do this for you. If your goal is to obtain the highest quality of health care available to you, you have to plan. So you have to ask, when you're making your appointments, you have to ask for the HIPAA form in advance. You have to ask, what forms will I be required to fill out when I go to the doctor, when I see the doctor? Um, please send those to me in advance. They can either be sent in snail mail, regular mail. They can be sent electronically, but ask for them in advance. If they can't provide those to you, which I don't see why they can't, but if they can't, then you need to request that somebody there will assist you or that you can bring somebody with you to assist you. You're not required to bring anybody with you to assist you. You're not. They're supposed to ensure that they provide that assistance to you. And you want to ask for a private place to fill out these forms. Really, it's nobody's business the date of my last menstrual period. It's just not. The last date I got a mammogram. I'm sorry. It's none of your business. So you ask for a private place to fill out the forms. You know, there's always an extra room, even if it's the break room and you kick everybody out. So you're going to ask for the private place, things in advance, and... When you are actually in the medical setting, just so you know, you have a right to have your service animal with you. 
But then let's say you have medical examinations and they send you to the lab and you have lab tests. So you're entitled to know, you know what they're testing for and you're entitled to get your lab results. And in fact, there's some federal regulation now, like if you have a mammogram, you're entitled to get those results right away in the mail. So you can also ask them to call you. Say, you know what? I don't want to wait three weeks to know what my cholesterol level is. I want to know when you know. And so you can ask them, your medical provider, to provide a, um, a telephone call with the lab results. You can also request that the materials are sent to you in an electronic format on a secure server in a format that's readable. The other thing is, don't use your work email address because you don't have the same confidentiality rights and privacy rights at work as you do at home. So don't use your work email address because your employer has a right, actually, to look at that information. So you're essentially disclosing confidential medical information to people who don't need to know. The other thing... I think that it's important to understand is the intersection of Title III of the Americans with Disabilities Act and HIPAA and GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. Under the ADA, both Title II, if you're going to a uh, you know, public hospital, if you're going to go see a doctor at USC or at UCLA versus you're going to go see a doctor at Good Samaritan, you're entitled to a reasonable accommodation under the ADA, which means they have to change their policies and practices, and they have to provide you with effective communication so that you can equally benefit from seeing this medical provider as everybody else. So if they say, we never provide assistance with filling out forms, you say, well, that's nice, but under the ADA, you have to. And if you don't want to, you know, it's hard to be assertive in the face of authority. And we really count on our healthcare provider. And we want them to like us because we want them to treat us well. So it's sometimes really difficult to ask for those accommodations. So my suggestion is do it in writing. Do it in advance or bring something in advance. You may not know about this, Dr. Barrier, but I really want you to understand that I need to get the quality health care that you can provide to me, which means that because I'm blind or I have a vision impairment, you need to provide me with an accommodation. And for me, that accommodation is large text. For me, that accommodation is my forms in advance. For me, that accommodation is, and you tell the doctor what your accommodation is. That is not a favor you're asking the doctor. That's your legal right in Title III of the ADA. So you're not saying, please, please do me a favor. You're not a supplicant. You're paying for this care, and you're an equal participant in your care. So it's not a favor. It's a right. And I want you to feel empowered to do that. We also have sample forms on our website um, at disabilityrightslegalcenter.org, all one word. Under our Cancer Legal Resource Center, we have tons of materials about accommodations. We have state specific materials about the ADA and about GINA. Effective communication, genetic discrimination, all of these work together with HIPAA so that you can obtain the highest quality health care in the most private setting with the most respect and dignity that you're entitled to. And you can file a complaint. If any of these things are violated, 
you can file a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights for the Department of Health and Human Services, and that's at um, hhh.gov slash OCR slash HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A, two A's, not two P's. Their phone number is 800-368-1019-1019. If you have a complaint about the ADA, you can go to the Department of Justice, which is ada.gov. They made it really simple now. It's www.ada.gov. And there, there's a complaint process, and you can file a complaint. You can also file a complaint for discrimination, usually with the human rights uh, or the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, because they cover these non-discrimination provisions for the most part. If you go to my office's website at our cancerlegalresourcecenter.org, all one word. There are very state-specific ways in which we have documentation and manuals. It will tell you where to file a complaint in your state. I just want to add one quick thing, and that is that the Health Issues Task Force, one of our responsibilities is to continue to provide ACB with various kinds of medical information. We've already done material on breast cancer, prostate cancer, and now on HIPAA. And we've been able to do this in part due to some very generous donations from members in New York and Hawaii. For additional information on this important subject, or to express your concern regarding privacy and blindness, contact the National Office of the American Council of the Blind. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. While various prosthetic items and other equipment are covered by the Medicare program, blindness and low vision-related equipment is currently not covered under the program. As ACB's Eric Bridges explains, creating a change in the rules in order to allow this coverage is a very slow process. Since the legislative seminar uh, in February of 2011, the third of our three legislative initiatives, which is the issue pertaining to CMS and the lack of coverage of low vision devices, essentially anything that has a magnifier in it, has been an issue that ACB has been sort of grappling with in trying to figure out how best to attack this issue. We had developed some legislative language in collaboration with the American Foundation for the Blind Unfortunately, the climate on Capitol Hill is such right now that introducing legislation and getting it to move for something that at least could be perceived as costing the government more money is not all that an attractive area to go into. So what ACB has done, starting in the month of July, was to form a low vision device working group. And this working group is really a coalition of organizations for the blind that has come together to talk about these issues and how best to 
begin to crack the nut of having CMS begin to cover these low vision aids. Just as sort of brief history, in 2008, a regulation was promulgated by the Department of Health and Human Services that dealt specifically with something that they called the eyeglass exclusion rule. And that is really not allowing CMS Medicare to cover anything with a lens in it. Obviously, ACB and the rest of the blindness community was very appalled that this regulation went through. We had fought it. But uh, the reality is, is that is now the case. And so what do we do as a community moving forward? And this coalition that we have formed is looking at how best to tackle this issue. So it's organizations representing the blindness field, AER, organizations like the Seattle Lighthouse, the Chicago Lighthouse, Center for the Visually Impaired in Atlanta, but then also producers or manufacturers of products like Humanware is on this coalition, as well as Independent Living Aids and others. There's probably a little bit more than 20 organizations, ranging from those organizations that I just mentioned to uh, Guiding Eyes for the Blind, which is a guide dog school, because all of these organizations are impacted in one way or another, either as employers or service providers or vendors that produce products that are magnifiers or are considered low vision aids. What about equipment that does not have lens, screen readers, etc.? Things like note takers may also be considered as well. Are they covered right now? No. And the challenge, obviously, is that it sort of runs the entire price gamut, right, from uh, a handheld magnifier up to CCTVs that are very expensive. So the challenge is for the coalition to identify the realm of products that we would like to see covered and then also the population of folks that we would like to see be eligible for coverage. So do we want to have everybody with a visual impairment be eligible or do we want to have people that meet the definition of legal blindness or the social security definition of blindness? Those are the current issues that we are grappling with right now as a coalition. It's our expectation that uh, the spring of next year we will have a better clarified position statement on these issues because the intent is to then move forward with a methodical approach, be it on Capitol Hill and approaching members to call on the GAO to do a study into this, or to approach the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services again with a specific ask with some specific parameters. So it's those two strategies that we have, and it's really sort of in the beginning stages right now, but that's the path forward that we see at this point. Could this be done through a petition for rulemaking, such as you see at the Federal Communications Commission or some of the other government agencies? Theoretically, it could be. One of the challenges that we have had, unfortunately, within CMS is not necessarily with the political appointees, but with the career staff. So that's going to be a rather heavy lift, but we've not had maybe as specific of an ask as what we are beginning to develop now in the past. So we'll see what we can do. Was there some kind of resolution passed at the convention last summer about that? Yeah, and it was essentially supporting the draft legislative 
vehicle that we brought to the legislative seminar. And that is a good discussion point to have with folks on the Hill. And it spurred some interest on the Hill during the legislative seminar, but it's been very difficult to bring an issue like that forward when it's at least initially perceived as costing the government more money. Will we see it again in the legislative seminar this year? Probably not the legislative vehicle, but the topic itself will be covered during the legislative seminar. In the meantime, before it goes to the Hill, before it goes to any proposals for rule changes, is there anything that is needed from the membership at this point? At this point, I don't know that there is. Um, The very fact that this issue has been raised by the membership has been good for us in the national office to be able to raise the visibility of this issue with members of Congress. Within this working group, I believe it's very important for the blindness community at least for the participating agencies in this coalition, to be able to come up with as precise a position statement as possible so that when we approach Capitol Hill or the federal government, uh, we're speaking with one voice. This is an issue that is obviously consumer-generated because so many consumers are not being served properly at this moment. But also, there are a lot of organizations for the blind that are also having a lot of challenges in getting their own employees or the people that they serve assistance. So it goes beyond just the average consumer. It also impacts the whole chain within the blindness community. Eric Bridges is the Director of Advocacy and Government Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. ACB Reports is moving into its 28th year of production in 2012. Thanks to everyone who listens to the program each month and to so many people who contribute their time and expertise in order to provide content and distribution for the program on a monthly basis. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.